Hello and welcome to the World Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Howdy. Tonight, we head to Mexico for The Batwoman from 1968, directed by Rene Cardona. Um, as a whacked-out scientist is capturing wrestlers and using their spinal fluid to create a gill man, and only Batwoman can stop him. Steven, this is um, another jaunt into the wonderful world of wrestling, the violent ballet that I'm ever so fond of. As On our main show, we obviously talked about the Foul King. Mm. Um, and uh, now here we get a chance to talk about Mexican wrestling movies, because in Mexico, it's wrestling is very much a, almost what could be considered a religion um it's something that trans goes beyond the action of the ring and you have characters such as santo or the blue demon whose legacies extended beyond the ring and went into the film world where they became like superhero style characters starring in many films many directed by Rene uh cardona who also has the uh, notoriety of directing Night of the Bloody Apes, which is on the Video Nasties list, um, and was only recently, um, as of this last decade, uh, released here in the UK. Yeah, I'm a fool for allowing you to do another wrestling movie on it. No, it's absolutely fine. I'm, I'll be getting my revenge next episode. Um, <laughs> but I didn't really know much about this, but um, it had popped up on Mubai for me. Um, when I was watching something else. So when you said this, I thought, well, that's ironic. That, I'll put that in my watch list. It sounded kind of fun. Um, I know little about the sort of Lucha Libra. Is that what it's called? Yeah, um, Lucha Libra. Uh... The, the, these kind of movies. Um, but I did a bit of reading around and saw that it's, a, it's not just a genre. It's a way of life. And there's, there's, a, there's actually a lot to read about it about these movies and how some of them have had to be saved from being scrapped and this is a rather major director as you say in the um in the genre so i, I thought i'd give it a go clearly um so, so somewhat inspired by the success of the uh campy adam west batman tv show of 1966 in a couple of ways <laughs> so it's uh yeah it's um i, I was expecting a sort of pop culture camp classic yeah, as you said already, I mean, Mumbai have uh, recently been doing a season on uh, Mexican cinema, and you're right as well, the fact that they have recently only d now sort of started um, archiving a lot of the films of this era. Um, there's a lot of them have just been sort of like stored in warehouses and it's kind of forgotten, and it's actually an active sort of um, archive now being f formed. Um and it's uh, formed by uh, Vinica Garcia Bessin, who is the, I believe she's the granddaughter of um, Cadron. And uh, she set up a an archive of uh, which is trying to preserve these movies of Mexico's popular cinema, really. So it's a lot of these, as I said, you'll find a lot of these, such as like satan worshiping pamphlet women or mexican wrestlers who also fight crime but also manage to make it back in time to defend their world title the mexican wrestling genre uh 
the wrestling films that are certainly a unique movie to say the least as I said because you have characters like Santos and the Blue Demon and these were actual wrestlers who's would have their in-ring persona and they carried it across into films kind of like what we saw with like uh, Hulk Hogan in like the 80s and the early 90s yeah because he, he, he did tend to very much be Hulk Hogan yes as opposed to let's say people like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, or John Cena, who have decided to transcend their um, their wrestling personas. Yeah, because um, the old school, because uh, wrestling is very much a, an old school mentality business. So back in the day, you had what's known as kayfabe, which is where you basically lived your gimmick. So if you were like the Wild Samoans, the fact that you had to act like a savage outside, if anyone saw you outside in the real world, you had to be your in-ring persona. There was none of this like, oh, you're playing a character in the ring. You are your gimmick. So you had to live your gimmick. And it was only really when we get into, I would say really the sort of 2000s really, that this kayfabe starts being lifted and you have wrestlers able to put that sort of gap between themselves their in-ring persona and who they are outside the ring and they could talk about the business and it made for some really interesting conversations um cool cabana's art of wrestling podcast really being the most noteworthy example of where wrestlers were getting to talk about what it is to be a wrestler you know their history of being a wrestler and there was a lot of guys who like came up in the eras before, like the lot of the eighties and the seventies guys, and they were like really sort of resistant to the idea of like shedding the idea of uh, the kayfabe. And now we're actually seeing more and more of it sort of like coming around to it. when they retire, they will sort of like say yes and be more willing to talk about their career with the Undertaker obviously being the most longest standing of this tradition as uh, he never once broke kayfabe throughout his career and only broke it uh, once he retired and now he does his own uh, little one man shows where he talks about uh, his life as a wrestler but in Mexico your mask is who you are You you fight to preserve your identity and the idea being that you build up your legacy while you're wearing the mask and then you can the two big matches that you can have in Mexico is a hair versus hair match where you get the loser gets shaved or you can put your mask up and if you're demasked it's seen as the ultimate humiliation so the most wrestlers will build up their legacy and then go for the big payday where they put their mask on the line um and obviously you can also go for a, a big payday by putting your hair on the line because you can always regrow your hair unless you've got like male pattern boldness in which case it may be good to check about that sort of thing ahead of time but you'll see as i said a lot of the mexican wrestlers have continued this uh, tradition and you'll see them when they're out and about and or they're giving interviews or go to wars they'll still be wearing their masks they'll be wearing like a three-piece suit but they'll still be wearing their masks and their masks are that part of it's sort of important to their legacy so here we obviously uh get this this wonderful sort of superhero idea which transfers really well to films with characters such as like Santo, uh, Super Argento, Blue Demon. And the Batwoman is kind of unique in the fact that she does frequently take a mask off in this film. And there's people who know her identity, which is obviously not what you get with like other characters within this genre. Mm. And the idea of the Batwoman in wrestling may sound like a pretty outlandish thing, but when you look at the world of wrestling, I mean, this is a world where characters such as Leatherface and Hellboy and even the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have all been wrestling characters in Japan. 
So the fact that we have the Batwoman, who's also a wrestler and also a spy, you can yeah, her um, she's a she's a wealthy socialite spy crime fighter wrestler women trainer and sort of every an everything person <laughs> yes she also but, drives the car which is the same model as the adam west batmobile just without it, it, the aesthetics it, it, it certainly yeah it <laughs> certainly is utterly if it's not the same model it's utterly riffing on it it's the same color it's got the same paint job it's got sort of the same trim on it it's yeah it, it they're not they're not shy about their ripping off this whole um, not ripping it off, paying homage to, shall we say. The, oh, the you can probably thing. say that, because in Mexico, I don't think they really cared about copyright no, infringement a, at a, all. A, absolutely. And the film's literally called The Batwoman. Her mask is very much like Adam West's. Um, so it, it's it's fine, because that's, that's the most fine bit of the whole persona, really. <laughs> this, I mean, we haven't really talked about the film yet, but so yeah, she is this. She's this sexy, wealthy socialite woman. But only two pe- two people know who she really is. Her little cucks that we'll talk about <laughs> yeah, later. I love the fact you, you call them that, but it's like we look at so much like nineteen fifties cinema. Yeah, and like uh, it came from beneath the sea. And there's always, yeah. like, the two guys that are, like, trying to move in on the same woman. And they're often, like, shooting so they either side around. It's sort of like, this is either going to be, like, a really friendly threesome or it's going to get real nasty. But there'll always be, like, two guys just, like, determined oh. to, to show off to the uh, one female scientist or whatever. I, I- and it, she's, yeah, it is a lot like that. Yeah, they, they sort of follow her around. They hold her secret. They help her out. But really, she's in complete control. There's one bit where one of them sort of gets, you know, he's going to spend the night at her house, right? And he just, and, and they, while they're having a chat, he's preparing his bed on the sofa. <laughs> it's just, it's just, there's nothing's, nothing's ever going to go on here. She's in complete control apart from the final moment of the film where, where tables are turned. But, um, yeah, she she she's fairly interesting. Uh, the other thing I'll say is when there isn't a lot of wrestling, there's not as much wrestling and wrestling culture stuff in this movie than I was expecting. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you felt the same, but but it's quite clearly not the same woman in the wrestling scenes. No, and they overcome it's... this by changing her costume to be an all-over bodysuit instead of the bikini that she wears the rest of the film. Well, this film but, certainly hits a lot of genres. It's not just, <laughs> you know, a superhero movie or a Mexican movie. There's also elements of, like, a B-movie monster movie in here. There's beach party movie in here. There's yeah. uh, a crime element in it here. It's uh, sort of like a spy thriller. It, basically, anything that Car, uh, Cardona can throw at the screen, he pretty much does. And yeah. as you said already, I mean, this is released in 68 so Adam West Batman is very much in the full throes of Batmania so it makes sense to think you know we get a pretty girl which is the Batwoman and what else is popular Mexican wrestling she's a Mexican wrestler and yes I mean there isn't a lot of Mexican wrestling in this there's a lot of her training to do wrestling um, there, there is. She seems to have a side job where her job is to train other women wrestlers. It, it, there's a lot of female... Imp- 
empowerment in this movie as well, which is kind of interesting for 1968. Um, certainly, sort of in this Mexico's North American, isn't it? But yeah, it's um, for, for for a new world movie. I found that kind of interesting. Um, but. Yeah, she doesn't really bring her wrestling skills to her crime fighting. <laughs> no, um, she does what can be best described as um, it's sort of more judo what she does um, than actual sort of wrestling. She does, I mean, you could obviously argue this like that Roman Greek or sort of style. She does a lot of throws, but she's not like doing drop kicks or like leaping off top ropes or anything. She just uh, does a bit of grappling. She also has a fine. Uh, Hand on the art of slack foo, as we get to mm. see her do a bunch of Judy chops and things. Yeah, um, yeah. She gets to kick true. someone in the groin, which is always fun. The, it is kind of a running trait with a lot of these Mexican wrestling movies: the fact that there isn't actually a huge amount of wrestling in. It's normally there just to frame the uh, the character and normally give them something else to do when they're not crime solving or doing whatever whatever else it's sort of like this is what else that they can be doing so mm. and obviously with the Santo movies I think the most noteworthy for the fact that he'll be fighting a bunch of vampires and of course make it back in time to defend his world title <laughs> yeah that, and I think that's kind of what I was expecting I was expecting to be there'd be a subplot of not only is she solving this crime but she's also uh, like you say, she's going to have to win. She's going to win the I don't know the world championship yeah. of wrestling or something, and that and that doesn't really happen. The fact she's a wrestler in this case is that's just that's that's just a throwaway character trait that she has along with everything else. <laughs> but fine, it's fine. I'm I'm no expert in these these movies. I've never seen any other movies like this, so I don't I don't know if I'm to be disappointed or surprised. Well, I mean, this was always the the part. I didn't go into this like expecting this was going to be a great movie. I went into this thinking it would be an entertaining movie, and I think on that front, it sort of delivers because just the sheer amount of things being thrown at the screen keep it entertaining in that sort of MST3K sort of way. Um, this is certainly not great filmmaking by any stretch of the imagination, nor is it like the best example that we can see of the Mexican wrestling genre. Obviously, over the course of the, the series, we will delve into some more Mexican wrestling movies. It's just this one having to be brought at the forefront thanks to Mumbai sort of including it as part of the season and... Uh, I decided to do it while it was sort of fresh in the mind, really. But um, the film stars uh, actress Maura Monte, who's an Italian actress who actually moved to Mexico when she was four. I did. I, did, I mean, I realised she was Italian, and I realised that she's in a lot of these films, and she she's sort of part of the director's. Um, if you look at him, she, she seems to be in a lot of his movies. So I did wonder. That's okay. So she was. She's effectively Mexican. Just not by birth. No, she's, uh, she's, she's, uh, she, yeah. But, uh, you know, she's a, a pretty good, and considering Mexico being like one of those industries where they would just sort of churn product out, it's not, there's not a lot of quality control. It's about the speed you can churn things out. I mean, over the course of his career, Cardona would do some 132 movies. My God, he's the, he's the, um, he's the Takashi Mike of Mexico. <laughs> pretty much. They vary in quality greatly. <laughs> we'll tell you that much. Well, so. again, the Takashi Mike of, um, of Mexico. But, you know, you we... need if you need product making, you know, give him a, a budget and a crew and he'll deliver. This is what he does. And 
I, I, I think we're underplaying it, right, a little bit. Well, I, I've got my issues with this movie, and we'll, we'll get to it. Um, but Acapulco looks lovely in 1968, right? I think I think it's not terrible. It's not like, I don't know, like um, an Ed Wood movie. Everything kind of flows. Some of the shot composition's really nice. Um, even things which could be laughable, like a man in a rubber suit, actually is quite well done. Or is from my point of view, uh, you know, that it's it's the underwater filming's really nice as well. So it's not it's not amateurish. It's just not super polished like some of the things we might be used to. She was also a model in the early sixties and more like Raquel Welsh rather than Twiggy. Oh, she's a she's a voluptuously attractive lady. I think we can say that without getting cancelled. Um, yeah, she's she's in the. She's got boobs and hips. Yeah, she also has a very unique style because uh, she goes for like beehive hairdyles and like tight waisted long dresses. She's more very modern her sort of dress style. I mean. Uh, yeah, and some a couple of the dresses are fucking hideous, <laughs> but, but but some of them, like you said, it it you know it reminded me that of um, oh, what's that movie I watched a few months ago? That Temptress of a Thousand Faces, that Hong Kong movie with with when everyone was very stylishly sixties like that. It reminds me of the Batman's TV show sixties as well, where you have people that the, the Catwoman and um, the various other bad guy female women. They were very of their time. She's got sixties hair. She's wearing 60s clothes and it's in colour, so you can see that all the 60ness of it. <laughs> Whereas the guys could be from any time since 1940, I would say. <laughs> Did you have a favourite Catwoman? I think I'm a Julie Newmar. Oh. Known Ethicate. Bring that boy's I don't mind Ethicate, but I think I'm definitely a Julie, a Julie Newmar. There was a third one, wasn't there? There was. Uh, I... Who was who was in the movie? That was Michelle Pfeiffer. Was in the movie. No, no, no! In the '66 movie. Oh, the '66, <laughs> the one, the one with shark repellent. Well, the one with holy shark repellent, Batman. Yeah. Um... Some days you can't just get rid of a bomb. <laughs> yeah, I think that might have been Julie. You might. I'm going to use. Uh... Oh, that was was that Lee Merriweather? Maybe Lee Merriweather. You... Yes. Yeah, I think it was. No, Julie Julie Newmar, who I think was the original Batwoman in the 66 show is mine. Um, I don't mind Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm not a big fan of Batman, um, the second Batman film, the, the second Tim Burton Batman film. Um, but everyone tells me I should be. I'm not a huge fan of the first one. I always find the pacing really off on the first one, but people really love it now for some reason. I think I remember when it came out and it was a cultural phenomenon. It's hard to explain how well received that movie was. You, th- you know, the Prince soundtrack, the, 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 the way the film came out, um, it overcame uh, Michael Keaton as Batman. It overcame that pretty quickly to a degree that he was reprising it only this year in, in The Flash. Um, Jack Nicholson mugging it up. But it was, you know, I just remember the iconography. Do you remember that there were computer games? There were, you know, it was, it was just fully won that summer. But I don't think I have watched it in the last 20 years. So I couldn't tell you if it was any good or not. I mean, I, li- I like the um, 
the scene where they're doing the raid of the chemical plant that's really good and you know the mm. procession there's as i said there's lots of very good bits in it it's just the bits in between that it's it's tim burton right it's gonna have the set dressing and the style of a tim burton film I, I also remember you know, Kim Bassinger's in it, but I don't remember her being in it. It's Vicky Vale and some half-assed American comedians in it, and I don't remember that at all because I don't remember who it is. Um, uh, yeah, but it's but it did you know it walked so various other superhero films could run after a stumble after after um, after the Val Kilmer one, yeah, and the George Clooney one, but yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry. Back back to the Batwoman, Julie Newmar, sixty eight, but sixty six. Sorry, but oh. uh, I think this this is a decent enough Batwoman. Well, it's not like I don't think there was ever a Batwoman before this. When I tried to think of like uh, when Batwoman was sort of introduced, I mean there was obviously the Batgirl, uh, but uh, the actual Batwoman, I don't remember being uh, a thing. At this ah, point. I get. I get I, I get you. Yes. So I, I can bring my, um, I can bring my comic book knowledge to play here. So not in film, at the time, but there was a Batwoman back in the fifties and sixties in the DC comics. Kathy Kane was her name, um, but she was written out over the years. So, um, and she had like a, I think she had like a yellow costume or something like that. But um, Yes, more recently there's a more modern Batwoman, isn't there? The this, stupid um, red hair, which I never got on with. Uh, yeah, and and she's um, ah, she's like the first DC lesbian character and stuff, wasn't it? In but but there was yeah, Kathy, Kathy Kane was in the fifties and sixties, so it did exist. But I don't think I don't think the makers of this movie had a clue about that. This is just Bat. This is just Adam West's costume on a woman wearing a green bikini <laughs> it's true she does uh and she's not so you know she's not so secretive about her identity because i said well these two um special agents that follow her around know her obviously her identity she's constantly unmasking when she's at the gym around her fellow mexican wrestlers so it's sort of like well is there like this code of trust between the mexican wrestlers like oh i've seen you unmasked i'm not going to tell anyone your true identity is never explained. She just. Uh, oh, I mean, how anybody doesn't know that she's the Batwoman? I I do not understand. I mean, she's her face. It shows her identifying mark. She's got like a mole on her bottom bottom lip, right? How many rich women in Mexico are there that wouldn't be recognisable from the fact? She's only covers up her eyes. She's literally half naked the rest of it and her identical you know, and, and, and that's a thing in the film as well, isn't it? They, they, lots of people seem to be able to follow her around by that rather recognisable car. Um, it's just very very strange. But unimportant. Unimportant because I got a feeling the the plot we haven't even touched the plot, mate. <laughs> no. So in terms of the plot, we have a supervillain here who's a mad scientist who is collecting the brain fluid of professional wrestlers. Why? Because they're perfect. And his plan is that he's going to create a race of superhuman aquamen. Um, the, this uh, being the evil neurosurgeon Dr. Eric Williams, who hides upon his boat, the Reptilicus, which is looks very much like a bruiser 
cruise boat that's out of season. Yeah, it's called the Reptilicus. Yes. What the fuck? I mean, I mean... Well, Reptilicus is a giant monster movie of its own. But, but why, you know, that, why would anyone call their boat that? Unless they were evil. <laughs> he, has a, he has a little henchman called Igor, who is neither um, um, uh, hunchback nor um, bog-eyed. Or... But he is called Igor, right? Which, to be fair, is a name probably that is sort of Spanish or has certain sort of Spanish European origins. So, but yeah, he's literally called Igor. Love it. And he's got other henchmen. One of them's called Number One. <laughs> and he calls him Number One to his face and everything. It's brilliant. So, so he's, his amazing scientific uh, experiments consist mainly of him putting action man dolls in a fish tank with a large goldfish and then putting some bubbly water. There's no flashing lights, there's no bubbling beakers. The only thing he has is this fish tank with bubbling water that he puts action man figures in. This guy, right, it's, 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 it's a classic bad guy in a superhero movie, right? In the sense that what's his fucking plan Elwood, I do not. It's so so. What, like you say, he he basically creates these little miniature. He calls them gill men. Yes, he wants to create um, a race of gill men. Underwater, underwater, half man, half fish hybrid. So you like so like you say, he creates these tiny little ones in a fish tank, and then it grows one in the sea, like gets irradiated or something. Is the idea, and so he has this one gill man that he controls by some kind of sonic device. Um, which let's not forget when he finally perfects this because he has a couple of test runs which don't work and then he finally mm. creates his gill man and he has his henchman put it in the sea and he has this really great underwater fight sequence mm. uh, which is I mean it's up there with Thunderbolt for how good the sequence is it's really beautifully shot and the gill man even has like a great uh, defense where he basically stands on one of these goons while he's mm. fighting the other two because their plan of getting the gill man back is just to put a big net over him which, you know, isn't the worst plan. It's not like <laughs> you're trying to punch him or or do something like equally stupid, but 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 yeah, but he creates this gill man and then I think later on he sort of says, Oh, we could make ten of them or a hundred of them, we could take over the seas and you think why? <laughs> I just I just don't know where this plan is going. But Igor fucking loves it. Igor's just looking at him like this is the greatest man in the world. And in some ways, this is amazing stuff he's doing. But but what's the point? I think it's suggested a bit later on that he might want to um, breed the fish man oh, with yeah. Batwoman. He plans but to I, um, I... capture Batwoman so he can turn her use her to create a, a female gill woman or turn her into mm. a gill woman so that he can he can breed them and obviously nobody asked gill man what his thoughts on the thing it's just you know we're going to create female gill woman and you're going to breed and you know and and he, gill, gill man doesn't really seem to have any cares about anything he's he is he's an innocent party here he's being controlled by this sort of sonic signals and things like that i don't think he's got any particular desire to take over the world or to have sex with Batwoman. No, he's or just a mindless anything. monster, really, isn't he? Um, mm. Who, let's not forget, when they catch him, it's like, let's put him on the wet mattress. <laughs> this is real scientific terms here. They strap him to a wet mattress, which 
I, I'm sure if with amphibious creatures, you've got to keep them a little more wet than just put them on a wet mattress. But I, I, I don't. I mean, yeah. And but again, I'm, I'm going to slag off the plan and everything. But I think that's almost the nature of the beast in in this type of movie, right? We're not meant to take it 100 percent seriously. Certainly, the guy playing Doctor Williams is not taking it seriously at all. Um, but I was quite impressed with the costume. <laughs> I thought the costume, and they don't hide it, do they? It's not all done in, you know, it, it, it's it's one part creature from the Black Lagoon, one part 1960s Doctor Who rubber costume. Um, it's also got the mask of Carmen Ryder apparently on it as well. That's the face of this thing. Yeah, and it's got, um, but they hide the scuba tank in this back um it's got this sort of thing, this sort of this sort of half shell down the back, but that means that they can do the underwater stuff. Um, so on land and underwater, I, I'm, I was all right with the monster, which normally would be the most la- when that's not the most laughable bit. Of the film, <laughs> I think I think you can say actually they're doing all right. Yeah, it does seem that someone felt that Dr. Williams wasn't evil enough because uh, Batwoman breaks onto Reptilicus, subdues all the guards and uh, finds out what Dr. Williams is up to and then leaves but not before throwing acid in his face because you know she didn't read the label that says don't throw in face <laughs> yeah. um, so he ends up with like a, a burned half face kind of like Phantom of the Opera thing going on which makes him look and a little more evil a little more mad scientist I believe that's not the first time that happens in one of this director's films I think that's one of his signatures that the that the that the bad guy will be um two-faced by acid (laughs) (laughs) but yeah yeah that was that 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 does you might say that would tip him over the edge but i don't think his plan changed a bit after being disfigured that just made him want to get revenge on batwoman and and no one believes her by the way she snuck onto the boat found all this out she's found out who doesn't take them long does it to work out that who what's happened because there's this there's this fucking nut job with a boat called the reptilicus out in the bay of acapulco <laughs> they didn't need but what the fuck are the police doing that they couldn't solve the crime they, they say oh god at the beginning they say something like when they're introducing her so one of her little cucks comes in to help with the police <laughs> you're really down on these two officers aren't you oh, i really am um and 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 a he describes who Batwoman is, but the the, the 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 sort of the police commander of Mexico is going, oh, this is terrible, you know, this is the seventh wrestler that we've had, um, and we've just got no clues. There's nothing linking the murders apart from the method of killing and the fact they were all wrestlers. And you just think, oh, that's that's your clues, guys. That is literally a pattern. <laughs> like, I can see now where we're going with this, but. That, yeah, the whole fact it is wrestlers is pretty got rid of quite quickly. The fact that she finds out who it is quite quickly, but then she doesn't think anyone's going to believe her. Who would believe there's a mad scientist who's growing a gill man under the sea? We can't possibly report it in yet. And this isn't like, he hasn't just like started up his Operation Acapulco. We're told that he's been over in Macau and he's been over in Hong Kong. He's been uh, doing these experiments. So they've been following the trail of bodies down to Acapulco. Mm. 
and despite this, she's not like, we're going to get the police in and just like swarm this place and like uh, shut this operation down. No, she leaves and then goes, takes part in a Mexican wrestling match, parachutes into a beach party, gets tracked to her home because uh, they put a little tracker device on her so the gill man can go attack her there. Gets in a, yep. a really questionable car chase where the thugs put on domino masks because apparently they need to put masks on to disguise their identity. Why? Um, I don't um, know. And, and 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 you say car chase. Oh yeah, this is the wondrous yeah. sound effect, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's basically the bad guys wear Kato masks, have a Sunday drive behind her, and then eventually she just pulls over. <laughs> And they capture her. So it's not it's not a car chase in any way sensible. They all obey the speed limit. And I maybe she ran out of petrol. But she just pulls over at the end. I just weird. It also should be noted that all the goons in this movie are seemingly made out of paper. Because they just yeah. crumble at the slightest blow. Mm. Uh, so yes. yeah, this fighting isn't spectacular and it is mainly, as I said, shot at range so that we can't tell it's a stunt woman carrying out a lot of these things. But, you know, when she's on screen as the Batwoman or uh, without a disguise on, she's a very charming presence in the film and she actually brings a lot of charm to uh, this film. I think, as I said, the performances-wise are very good. It's just the actual choices of direction and story which are just a little off with this movie. Um, I also love at the beach party the fact that someone's got a deck chair which has got a 45 player built into the arm. Now that, obviously, I suspect, you know, that really appealed to me. Uh, that w- I will be going on to eBay to, to have a look at something like that. Like, to I thought that was... I, I mean, is there not a more sixties thing in the world than the than the than the deck chair with built-in vinyl player that could play forty fives on it? It's good. I mean, as you've brought it up, the other thing um, I th- on my notes I've written here: the soundtrack is a bit like being stuck in a supermarket playing light jazz all night. <laughs> it's, it's 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 one of the worst soundtracks I've ever heard. Because in and of itself, I don't mind a bit of mellow Stan gets at all. I don't mind a bit of jazz, but it just doesn't match the rest of this film, but it is so 1968, isn't it? It's just, it's just so of its time. But uh, yeah, I didn't really like the soundtrack at all. Well, sadly, Montion had a really short career. I mean, she only put out 35 features over the course of her six-year career, and then she retired mm-hmm. from the business entirely. So it's kind of uh, sad that she never really got to do more as a, as an actress. But um, certainly, as I said, this is a, an interesting curiosity on her CV, to say the least. Mm, but like I say, I think she's been in other movies of his. So, I, I mean, she's very... She's a very compelling screen presence, right? Even when she's out of costume. <laughs> it's, got, it's barely a costume. She's, um, but yeah, I, I quite, I kind of liked her. I mean, I had no problems really with any of the acting in this at all. I mean, some of it was a bit ha Miss Doctor Williams and Igor's gay love for his boss was a bit weird, but. I don't. The acting was fine. What, what do we expect? It, this is a this is a B movie, right? Even even in Mexican terms, I'm assuming it's a populist B movie. This isn't their version of I don't know Citizen Kane. 
No, I think they aimed a little higher than than, uh, than this if they were doing that. Yeah, I, I mean, so. obviously, when it comes to Mexican cinema, it's all like you know those sort of grey areas, and one that we're obviously going to dive into more over the course of this series. I mean, this is obviously our first join, but I think it's impossible not to look at Mexican cinema without looking at the wrestling movies and the fact that we've even got like uh, when you look at things such as um, Nacho Libre which is uh, based on the true life story of the priest that uh, had a sideline as a Mexican wrestler and for years nobody knew that he was a he was uh, the local priest that's the Jack Black movie yes it is. is that right yes yeah I have I haven't seen it, but I'm aware of it. Uh, it's a movie I I quote, and it's much like this. It's sort of like I remember more fondly than when I watch it. Many right. um, says so. Such great lines as, "Don't you want to taste that glory?" And uh, when they, <laughs> when uh, they're all sitting around eating gruel, and the old uh, priest is, uh, it's like, "What happened to the chips?" <laughs> it's like this is the worst meal we've ever had. It's weird, it's weird, but it's got a good Jack Black energy to it. I don't mind a bit of Jack, a Jack Black, but... Um, it's from the yeah. director of um, uh, Napoleon Dynamite and um, Gentleman Broncos. Gotcha. Which is a diversive style of comedy, to say the least. But I would yeah. say this is probably his most accessible movie, so... But yeah, anything else that you want to talk about on uh, 1968's Batwoman? I... Well, I will just remind you, this is our second Mexican film in this series. So we've, we've already gone back to Mexico, but New Order was a very different kettle of fish Yeah, I mean, because <laughs> I thought New Order was but, Spanish, but I guess... No, no, it's, it's, it's set in Mexico City. Um, but that's it's in the Spanish language. So that's, and, and yeah, I, what am I going to say? I was a little bit disappointed in this film in the sense that it wasn't camp enough. And it wasn't, and it was maybe a bit too long, and I, 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 it didn't quite grab me as much as I really. I think I had high expectations. I thought this was going to be a hilarious camp classic, and actually, what it was was a fine way to pass the time. wasn't offensive, apart from one thing I'm going to talk about at the end. Um, and. Actually, the under, like you say, the underwater work, camera work was fine. I liked, I liked the guy. It reminded me of the Doctor Who um, underwater menace, Patrick Troughton story. It, was, it could be very much paired with that. Lots of similarities, including the bad guy and the and the fish people. Um, but yeah, it just, it just, I, I wish it was just a little camper and maybe ten minutes shorter. Um, and that's good enough for me to get like three out of five, but I've dropped half a mark off because all the way through this film, Batwoman is incredibly capable. Yeah, she's, she's held up as a successful person in and out of costume, as a wrestler, as a crime fighter, as a, she's clearly got money. She's got these two little blokes running after her. And then for some, and she solves the crime and blah, blah, blah. And then for some reason at the end, She's scared of a mouse. And this really sexist little joke ends the film. And you just think, all right, fine. It's 1968. Women's Lib hasn't hit Mexico. It was just a weird way to end the film. And that, that I knocked half a mark off for that. Um, but it, it, it wasn't horrible. It was fine. But I have to say, I was a little bit disappointed. However, you have talked enough about 
the whole and, and my reading around it means that I'm actually quite interested to see a proper Mexican wrestling movie. If that makes sense, I just don't think this is your gateway drug. Okay, so we'll find a, we'll find another Mexican wrestling movie to to go out. Mm. I mean, obviously, in the meantime, I mean, we can watch things such as like uh, we can look it over to Japan and watch weird wrestling if you want. I mean, mm. there's companies like uh, I think it's DDP, which feature an inflatable sex doll as one of their wrestlers, as including a giant inflatable panda who's part of a family of giant inflatable pandas. Um, I did. I I like that one you sent me at link. So so just audience, Elwood fucking loves wrestling. <laughs> quite a lot of our non-recorded chat before and after shows quite often goes to wrestling, and he, and he tells me about these things. And I just, I think it's just it's it's just a it's it's a subculture too far for me. But um. It, it, it just shocks me because you're not like I said. See, I, I've got other friends that are really into wrestling, mm. and the 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 fact that it has such broad appeal from WWE to that thing you showed me where they were in the ring were dressed up as like Godzilla and stomping on buildings. Oh, they um, um, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> uh, that's Kaiju Big Battel. Now Kaiju Big Battel. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's. It's uh, basically where they they fight in um, either a, a normal wrestling ring or they be in a big cage, and uh, they have they fill the build they fill the ring with like um, cardboard buildings, and they have as a kaiju style battles. That's the the company, and they've done one tour of the UK, but it sold out like almost instantly. And it's been always one of those things that that uh, one of my goals for the show I would love to like go and be involved in some way if it's just like in ring crew to setting something up or like uh it, we could like do something with uh kaiju big battle well, that would be like something crossed off my bucket list because i love kaiju big battle and it's uh got wonderful characters such as like gojimon or super dust bunny or chicken noodle soup and dr cube um american beetle sky deviler all these really cool uh characters there's even like um a Final Fantasy style game where you play as the characters and you go around the world battling things. So, which was produced by Super Warus Games, who are a really fantastic uh, operation. Yeah, see what I mean. <laughs> but it's a wide road. But it's interesting because it, it is cultural. It's a worldwide cultural thing. Even so, I think um, a WWE wrestler died. This yes, week, and it made we lost uh, uh, the very legendary, the hardcore icon Terry Funk. Who is one of those one of the the Western wrestlers who went over and had this huge legacy over in Japan, kind of like a Abdullah the Butcher, um, he and uh, Vader, and um, I don't know if I sent you the um, no rope exploding barbed wire death match they had with um, Onita, where uh, it goes to the end and Onita covers over him because he loves Terry Funk that much and he can't see his mentor get blown up and he covers him and the ring explodes and. Okay, I may be dropping some news because that's not who I was referring to. So, um, Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt is yeah. Bray Wyatt is a um, it's a young guy. I think he was like thirty six, thirty seven. He was yeah. part of a, um, a group called the Wyatt Family, who were like um, kind of like a firebrand uh, swamp cult. Mm. Um, they wore like animal masks, and uh, he just used to go around and wear like an Hawaiian shirt and freak people out. And he came back yeah. as a. Uh, a creepy children's presenter. We had all these weird puppets, 
and he would come to the ring with like a a, a mask and he was known as the fiend but yeah he's died uh this last couple of days which is really sad because as i say he was 36 and it's complications from covid yeah but i I, yeah um sad but my point is that made it to the front page of the british broadcasting website right therefore i just think that must mean that that just shows you how culturally important wrestling is um obviously that's the wwe right that's the big stuff but um it does occasionally hit that so you know usually sport doesn't hit the front page of the of a news website um although i know wrestling does have a problem doesn't it with sort of early deaths so i do wonder if there was a there was a there was a reason for that and when it got boring and it was sort of covid complications they decided it wasn't as interesting yeah anymore. i mean a lot of like the 90s and the 80s guys who were like doing steroids and uh things like that they died they died of very young and they often would like i said you said heart complications they would just all these guys to just drop dead and then you got other mm. people who had like uh, suffered issues because of like you know head trauma and things like that. And the WWE was actually ahead of the NFL uh, when it came to like uh, doing investigations into head trauma and like the effect it was having on people and like how it could like affect you like mentally and things. And obviously, we know about Chris Benoit, um, who was like uh, the case that sort of inspired them to do all this investigation into. Uh, this, but no, I mean certainly there's there's our wrestlers who we see here over in the West, the same as we saw over in uh, like Mexico, that um, sort of rise above and become like cultural icons and and uh, yeah, the Batwoman unfortunately wasn't one of them because this was a one and done character. Mm. Yeah, I am. I am also a bit sad there wasn't a sequel that really let go. Or the fact that like Black that. Scorpion yeah, is... got two movies, and the Batwoman only got one. <laughs> Yeah, it's this is a fine movie, right? It's absolute. In the sense that it's fine. Um, you know, I don't regret the hour and a half, whatever it was, watching it. Um, yeah, eighty minutes. So this is a uh, yeah, yeah. But it, but it, it just, I, I'm not gonna lie, it disappointed because I wanted it to be more outrageous. But I have a feeling there are. There's a possibility there. It just won't be on Mubai. <laughs> and it looked good. It looked, it looked, you know, it, it cleaned up nicely, looked good on my TV. Because um, most of the clips I've seen are look like they've been recorded for an eighth generation VHS. This looked like it did look like Acapulco looked great. Cleaned up nicely, been restored nicely. Well, that brings us into tonight's episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button. And, um, check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Come say hi to us there. We also on Fred's all under our main show, the Ace and Cinema Film Club. Um, so uh, definitely go check that out as well. And uh, if you want to check follow, check out our archive, it is available in full at aceandcinemafilmclub.wordpress.com as well. Stephen, it is your turn to choose where we go next. So where are we flying to in the world? So, we're not going to fly anywhere, mate. We're going to have a staycation. And I'm, I'm going to bring a British film to the show. Um, I'm also going to keep a bit of a sporting theme. And, 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 and whilst you've been able to wax lyrical about wrestling, I'm afraid it's my turn. I'll be waxing lyrical about... Football or soccer, as our American friends call it. Um, 
So this is a documentary, a British film, by a director of, I think, Indian descent, about a South American footballer and his time in Italy. <laughs> um, the, the director is Asif Kapadia, who has made two of, I think, sort of the, the finest documentaries of all time. One being Senna, about um, the Formula One driver, and Amy, about Amy Winehouse, the uh, sort of the, the tragic British, uh, what was she, blues singer, jazz singer. Um, but he made a third film in his sort of trilogy of um, sort of films about icons who died young. Um, although I think when he made this, the icon hadn't died. Um, uh, called Diego Maradona, which is his look at... Not so much the life of Diego Maradona, and I'm assuming you know who Maradona yeah, is. Yeah, no, who Maradona is. <laughs> um, but this is about his time playing for Napoli in this, the southern Italian city of Naples, um, and 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 how this guy bought something to a very poor city, a city famous for being run by crime, and we'll have a look. Yeah, it, it, it's a really interesting thing, but unlike. Senna and unlike Amy, um, which there's sort of at the time there was a tragic end to those stories that, that, that the films are counting down to. This is this is looking slightly different. Um, I think Senna's obviously always brought up as one of the great sporting documentaries. I think Amy is the biggest, most successful British documentary of all time. And I think Diego Maradona the, gets forgotten about. So I know this isn't really a wheelhouse. But um, I think it's worth seeing, so we'll um, we'll watch Diego Maradona. We'll get some of that World Cup views in. <laughs> well, now that the British government have cut all the funding to women's football, now that they lost, so <laughs> yeah, God, yeah. Well, could be worse. We could be Spanish, and the the whole country's melting down. So that's on our next episode. So make sure you join us for 2019's Diego Maradona. Uh, but until then, thank you for listening. Thanks to my co-host Stephen. Pleasure as and, always. Uh, we'll be back next time to talk about Diego Maradona. Until then, good night. Good night.